Good morning. My name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and it's my honor and privilege to bring to you God's Word this morning. We're continuing in our series in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. As is our tradition here at Christ Central, I ask that you stand now for the reading of God's Word. This is God's Word, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading, excuse me, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as, we, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they had come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried him, carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotosis, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, that you would Allow me to get out of your way so that you might be present, that you might bring truth to bear in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand. In Jesus' name, amen. This past week, my wife and I were lying in bed one night talking about our neighbors. And to be honest, this was not one of our finest hours in terms of trusting in the power of God. Because as we lay there, we began to list all the reasons why each person was too far away from God for Him to reach them. Whether it be drug or alcohol addiction or gang affiliation or educational barriers, you name it. We had a plethora of reasons why our neighbors didn't stand a chance of coming to Jesus. But then, as I began to reflect on this litany of reasons why our neighborhood was beyond reach, 
I was reminded of my own story, of what my life looked like in college and how I was blatantly and even obnoxiously opposed to Jesus in the way that I was living. And I began to wonder how many people looked at me and thought, this guy, he is way beyond reach. They thought there's absolutely no chance that Timothy Price will ever come to Christ. How many people avoided me or passed up opportunities to share Christ with me because of the assumption that I was too far gone? And look at me now. I'm in the pulpit, for goodness sakes. God was clearly more than capable of reaching someone as lost as me. Our text this morning is a powerful reminder that God is at work. That He is at work drawing people to Himself and that there is absolutely no one who is beyond His reach. As we get ready to dive in, I want to begin by asking you, have you been doubting lately that God is at work? Have you lost hope in God's ability to redeem and draw people to Himself? Are there people in your life that you have written off because they are too far gone? If so, may this text be the thing that awakens your faith in a God who is ever at work in us and around us. Amen? Three points that I want to look at this morning. Very simply, the Spirit's call, the Spirit's work, and the Spirit's seal. The Spirit's call, the Spirit's work, and the Spirit's seal. Before I begin, I first need to clarify that when we see the name Spirit in the Bible, capital S Spirit, it's referring to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who is forever with those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Spirit is for us, post-Jesus Christians, God with us, Emmanuel. That being said, let's begin by looking at the Spirit's call. There are three different aspects of the Spirit's call that I want to look at this morning. Who the Spirit calls, when the Spirit calls, and to whom the Spirit calls. Who, when, and to whom. So who does the Spirit call? Clearly, the text shows us that he calls Philip. But who was Philip? As Daniel pointed out last week, Philip was one of the seven deacons who had been elected to carry out the work of mercy in the church, Acts 6. They were called to assign to care for the poor, the widows, the orphans. That's what they, that's what they did. That's who they were. But more important than who Philip was is who Philip was not. You see, Philip was not one of the men who was called to devote himself to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Let me make it plain for you. Unlike Peter and John, Philip was not on staff with the church. His vocation was not ministry. Philip was clearly better suited for other things than vocational ministry. And yet the Spirit calls him. God sends Philip and not Peter and John, on this journey. Why? Have you ever seen one of those infomercials for a knife set? I'm sure you have. There's hundreds of them. 
And at some point in all of these infomercials, the salesman will show you how their knives can cut through a shoe. And the, the way they normally do this is they'll show some 80-year-old woman cutting one of her shoes in half. Now, no one ever stops at this point to ask why in the world would an 80-year-old woman want to cut one of her shoes in half? We don't ask that question. We just ooh and ah as, he, as she slices her shoe in half like butter. But the reason they use an 80-year-old woman for this demonstration is to make the point that anyone can do it. To make the point that the power to slice the shoe lies in the knife and not in the individual. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit calls Philip, and not Peter and John, for your sake. The Spirit calls Philip in order to show you that the power to save is in God's hands and not yours. No minister is needed for the Spirit to work. And the evidence that this penny has dropped for you is that when the Spirit's When the Spirit calls you, because He will, when the Spirit calls you, don't respond by saying, Why me? Or, Let me call Pastor Daniel because he's really good at this kind of thing. But instead, when you hear the Spirit's call, you emulate Philip and you, verse 27, rise and go. Amen? Let's look secondly now at the Spirit's timing when the Spirit calls. If you remember from earlier in chapter 8, a revival has broken out in Samaria. The gospel is being preached, people are being saved, unclean spirits are being cast out, the lame are walking, and verse 8 says there was much joy in the city. This is awesome. Samaria is on fire for the gospel, and Philip is the one spearheading the revival. And then the spirit does the strangest thing, doesn't he? The spirit calls Philip, the key leader of this movement, out of the revival and sends him into the desert. What in the world is going on here? I mean, if I'm Philip, I'm thinking, Spirit, you are crazy. Things are blowing up down here, and you want me to go where? The lesson here, for those of us who are Christ followers, those of us who have joined Christ on this mission to see His kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. The lesson for us is that God's timing doesn't always make sense. Have you ever felt God leading you to do something and it feels like the most inopportune time possible? Almost as if God is oblivious to what is going on in your life. I don't know about you, but I've found that in those particularly inopportune times, when I do in fact submit and follow God's leading, I find that it's often those times when I see God show up the most. Philip doesn't question God's timing for a second. He immediately rose and went. Now, I realize that we are all super busy, that our culture, place, that our culture places unbelievable de- demands upon us, and as a result, most of us have very little margin in our lives. And because of that, we are often very resistant to anyone disrupting our routine, much less God. 
But brothers and sisters, in order to be used by the Spirit, we must be willing to submit to His timing. So I ask you, have you surrendered your schedule to God? Are you willing to operate on His timing rather than your own, trusting that God knows what's best? Are you willing to allow your schedule to be disrupted for the sake of what God is doing in the world around you? It's a hard question that we need to ponder. And God's timing here forces us to ask some hard questions of ourselves, doesn't it? Why? Why would God pull his key leader in this revival movement away from all the action? I mean, doesn't God long for a multitude of people to come to him? Isn't that God's desire? And you see, the answer to those questions lies in the third aspect of, spirit, of the Spirit's call that we need to look at this morning. To whom the Spirit calls. To whom does the Spirit call Philip to engage? And brothers and sisters, this to whom piece is huge. It really is the essence of our text this morning. If you've missed everything thus far, now is the time to pay attention. You see, we've, we've talked before about how the key verse that summarizes the whole book of Acts is chapter 1, verse 8. Many of you have probably memorized it. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And in chapters 1 through 7, we have seen the first part of this verse being fulfilled. The witness is going forth throughout Jerusalem. But then last week, in the beginning of chapter 8, we began to see this major shift happening, where the witness is going beyond Jerusalem and into Samaria. And this certainly was a huge shift because, as we talked about before, the Samaritans were not well-liked by the Jews because they had intermarried with Gentiles. They were half-breeds, according to the Jews. So the fact that the gospel would be preached in Samaria is certainly appalling. But our text this morning presents an even more dramatic shift. You see, because the Samaritans at least had a partial tie to the nation of Israel. But now, now we come to the Ethiopian eunuch. And Luke, the author of Acts, knows how important the to whom is here, which is why he refers to this man as the Ethiopian eunuch and not Joe or Jerry or Christoph. You see, what Luke is highlighting is that this man is a real full-blood Gentile, an Ethiopian, a true outsider. And not only was he an outsider because of his ethnicity, but also because he was a eunuch. You see, a eunuch is one who had been castrated and therefore, according to the Old Testament law, was considered unclean. So the cards were definitely stacked against this man. And yet the Spirit sends Philip to him, the Ethiopian eunuch. Why? Brothers and sisters, what we learn here, and this is huge, is that our God is concerned not only with quantity, but also with quality. What do I mean? What we're seeing here is that God 
calls Philip away from his thriving ministry in Samaria for the purpose of building upon the diversity of the body of Christ. Did you catch that? He called him away because God is deeply concerned with the diversity of his people. Sounds a little bit like the vision of Christ's central church, doesn't it? I wonder where we got that vision from. We see here in this text that God is wholeheartedly committed to his family being incredibly diverse. It was not enough just for the Samaritans to be included. God's vision for diversity was much bigger than that. It is much bigger than that. It includes the whole earth. And may I point out to those of us who like to think that Christianity is primarily a European religion, we need to be reminded that the first full Gentile convert was in fact a black African. Now there's a whole sermon right there, isn't there? We won't go there this morning, but seeing God's vision for the nations, for the world, and the fact that the first full Gentile convert was not European, but in fact a black African. Brothers and sisters, may this text be a fresh reminder to us, Christ Central Church, that God is calling us to people who are not like us. Amen? And may we as a church, like Philip, be even willing to sacrifice quantity for the sake of quality, for the sake of the diversity that God was clearly committed to from the beginning. Amen? Which leads us to our second point this morning, the Spirit's work. Not only does the Spirit call on Philip to go to the Ethiopian eunuch, but the Spirit actually works in the life of this man. So how does the Spirit work? He works two ways primarily. He works through the Word and through the people of the Word. Let's look first at how the Spirit works through the Word. Isn't it interesting that even before the Spirit sends his man, he sends his word? Long before the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith, the seeds of the word of God were being planted. The truth for us as Christians here is vital. And that truth is that the Spirit works through this book. Not over it, under it, around it, but through it. And any work that is not rooted in this book is not a work of the Spirit. I've heard stories of pastors saying that the Spirit told them to leave their wife to go be with their secretary. And they go do it. They actually do it. Isn't that ridiculous? That is clearly not the Spirit because it's not in line with this book. Ephesians 6 declares that this, this book, is the sword of the Spirit, the weapon that the Spirit uses to bring about transformation. But why? Why does the Spirit work through the Word? Well, because of what the Word is. God's Word is His self-revelation. It's the primary place where He makes Himself known to us, His creation. As the Westminster Confession of Faith so beautifully articulates, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory 
man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequences may be deduced from Scripture. The point is there is no salvation apart from the truth of God's Word. You can take that to the bank. And so we as Christians must allow the Word to be our guide and our strength as we carry out this mission. Amen? But not only does the Spirit work through the Word, but He also works through people of the Word. The remarkable truth is that God, in His infinite wisdom, has chosen to use us as the deliverers of this transformational truth. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave who? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. By His grace, He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Look again with me at our text. Philip overhears the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 53. And he asks him, verse 30, Do you understand what you are reading? And then the eunuch responds, How can I unless someone guides me? Wouldn't it be awesome if someone in Durham asked you that question? Would you explain to me the Word of God? I just don't get it. Wouldn't that be incredible if somebody came up to you and asked you that? We live for that. We long for that. And then look how Philip responds. Verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? We don't know exactly what Philip said. Did he, did he stick in Isaiah or did he take him all the way back to Genesis and start from the beginning? Maybe he showed him Isaiah 55 just two chapters later in the scroll where the text actually prophesies of the inclusion of even the eunuch. We don't, we don't know for sure what he said, but we do know that he proclaimed to him that Jesus Christ, the righteous sufferer, was crucified and rose again, and that Jesus has won the victory over sin and death, and that now repentance and forgiveness of sins are available in him. And he showed him this through the word, because Philip was a man of the word. Brothers and sisters, if someone asked you to show them the good news of Jesus Christ in the Word of God, would you be able to do it? Would you know where to look or what verses to share? If not, take this not as a rebuke, but as an encouragement to get ready. The Spirit uses people of the Word. Are you a person of the Word? Which leads us to our third and final point this morning, the Spirit's seal. After Philip has completed his gospel presentation, the eunuch makes an incredibly audacious request. Verse 36 says that they were going along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? 
And for the typical Jew, the answer to this question would have been a lot. A lot prevents you from being baptized. You see, even in the Old Testament, there were people who were not Jewish who were allowed to be a part of God's covenant family, but always only in part. They were barred from experiencing all the riches that were available for a pure Jew. Not only that, but this man was a eunuch, which meant he was unclean, and therefore he had even more reason to be kept from this ordinance. Because baptism was the sign and seal of the work of the Spirit, signifying and sealing the cleansing of sin and incorporation into the family of God. Certainly it was fine for this foreigner to believe, but to be baptized, let's not get out of hand. But remember, our text is shifting We are leaving Jerusalem, and we are heading to the ends of the earth. And so that's exactly what Philip does. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, declaring the profound inclusiveness of the gospel, proclaiming that no apparent obstacle, no physical defect, race, or geographical remoteness can place a person beyond the reach of of the Spirit of God. And brothers and sisters, this baptism should speak to every single person in this room. For those of you who have been baptized, it should be a wonderful reminder of what baptism declares. This whole narrative, in fact, reminds us that baptism is always a celebration of the work of the Spirit and not of the work of man. It is so easy to get that backward, isn't it? But look look again at our text. The eunuch was riding home from Jerusalem totally confused and with no hope in and of himself of finding the truth. But God, but God supernaturally sends the eunuch someone who shows Christ to him. And so we see that the eunuch was nothing more than the unworthy recipient of God's gracious blessings. The movie The Sandlot has a wonderful picture of this. I don't know if you've seen the movie. If you haven't, you should watch it. Wonderful children's movie. If you remember, the main character is named Smalls. And he's this awkward, terribly non-athletic little boy. And then the other main character is Benny the Jet. Benny the Jet is the star baseball player. He's in He, for some reason, Benny, is convinced that he can turn Smalls into an athlete. And there's this scene where Smalls is struggling miserably in the outfield, and Benny pulls him aside and tells him to go stand in the outfield and just hold out his glove and that Benny would take care of the rest. And so Smalls trots out into the outfield, sticks out his glove, and closes his eyes. It's this wonderful scene where we see Benny hits this perfect fly ball that sails into the outfield and literally lands right in the outstretched hand of eyes closed Smalls. And what's strange is that the team then naively celebrates Smalls as if he had made a great catch, which is in fact absurd because really Benny did all the work. Brothers and sisters, it is equally as absurd when we celebrate the work of the individual in baptism as if they had anything to do with it. 
in baptism, we rightfully celebrate God's gracious promise and God's gracious work in our lives. For those of us who have been baptized, this story reminds us of how amazingly gracious and undeserved all of our salvations really are. And for those of you who have not been baptized, who have not given your life to Jesus, this baptism is encouraging for you too. Because it gives evidence to the reality of a God who is pursuing you who is willing to climb over mountains to win your heart. And you can rest in the fact that it's not up to you to earn that love and favor. It's not required of you to perform for God. All that is required is that you submit to His loving pursuit. That you stick out your eyes closed, outstretched arm, if you will, and receive His gracious gift of salvation. And when you do that, we, the church, celebrate with baptism as the sign and seal that the Holy Spirit has intervened in your life. That's good news. That's good news for all of us. I want to close with a reminder and a charge. Brothers and sisters, this text proclaims with authority that God is at work. To borrow from C.S. Lewis, Aslan is on the move. We serve a God who is on mission to redeem this world and the people who are in it. And what this text demands is that we believe that there is nobody who is beyond God's reach. And the charge, brothers and sisters, is that in light of the unfathomable reality that God chooses to use us as His instruments of redemption, we must be willing and ready. Not skilled and qualified, but rather willing and ready. Brothers and sisters, we are simply the sickle in the hands of the great harvester. God is at work and we are but His instrument. Is your blade sharp with God's word in your heart and on your tongue? And are you primed and ready to answer the Spirit's call? Let's pray.